Well, good morning. Thanks for being here with us today. My name's Tim. I get the privilege of being the lead pastor. And uh, we just want to mention this one more time in our service uh, because we tried really hard to get to everyone that has kids uh, here. Or if you're watching online, maybe you're just now tuning in and your kids are in the living room or you're watching on demand and your kids are with you, uh, that today's topic is a deep topic. Uh, we are, it's, we've labeled it PG-13 as we are going to look to God's word, but we're also going to look at what's taking place in our culture and so if you're a parent and you want to move your kids to the kids program, it's happening right now at the same time, uh, you're welcome to do that. Or if you decide that you want them to stay with you and at any point in the service you say this may be a little bit too much, uh, p- please feel free if you need to leave to leave or go out in the fellowship hall where there's uh, refreshments. We totally understand that. We just want everyone to have a heads up uh, before I dig into this today. Does that sound good? All right, so everyone's on the same page. Okay, so if you're new to Shepherd's Gate, one of the things we love doing here is going through books of the Bible. Last week, we started uh, with Genesis, which is the very first book of the Bible, and so I kind of, it was kind of an introduction to Genesis. We kind of looked at uh, the first few verses uh, of God's created order and how things came to be on this earth. And so uh, we're just going to dive right in because I have lots of content to share with you today. In fact, I've spent three months writing this message. I have never spent this much time writing a message before. Uh, So I'm going to need extra grace from all of you because we are going to go over our time. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Good news is it's 15 degrees outside, so there's nothing to run home to, okay? And the Lions aren't in the playoffs, so, you know, we're here, we're in God's church, we can do this together. So if you want to grab one of the chair Bibles that's in front of you, if you have your own Bible, even better. If you're watching online, click the Bible tab. If you don't have a Bible, take one home with you today. Uh, Just a reminder that all of our passages are actually listed on our website and on our SG app, uh, so you can find out actually what we're looking at, what we're going over before you ever come. So did anybody that was here last week, did you actually pre-read? Anybody read ahead? There we go, a few hands. Weren't you glad it was only two verses? You're like, man, this is easy. Homework from Tim's easy. All right. Well, there's going to be some weeks where it's going to require a little bit extra reading, but those of you that read ahead uh, know that we're covering two verses today. Parents, there's also car ride questions that you can ask your kids on the car ride home or at the lunch table or at the dinner table later tonight. Make sure you take the opportunity to do that, as well as dig deeper questions for yourself or your spouse or your family or your small group that you can dig even deeper into what we will be discussing today. Sound good? All right, here we go. Let's go for the first verse. Genesis chapter 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And the reason he says us in this passage is because we believe, as the scriptures teach, in the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Big fancy church word for that is Trinity. So there's three persons in one. If you go back to the beginning of Genesis, the the first couple of verses, it tells us that the Spirit of God is hovering over the water. Uh, Later on in the Gospel of John, we find out that, that Jesus is there in creation. He is there. He's part of it. He's witnessing everything that's unfolding. So remember, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So they're making us, they're making mankind in the image and the likeness of themselves, which separates man from every other created thing on this earth. Nothing is like us. Even if there's movements that maybe speak something different to that or want to put animals or whatever may be on the same level, that's according to the word of God, man is on a completely different level than every other created thing. And here's part of the package that God did. He said, 
Let them have dominion. So this is how you know we're at the top of the food chart, right? Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Everything. We get to have dominion over all of it, and I hope you come back next week because we will dive deeper into this whole concept next week. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image, Okay, in case we didn't get it the first time, he repeats himself, in the image of God, he created him. And then he goes on to say these key words, male and female, he created them. Amen. Okay, now parents, again, you can notice that the SG Kids logo is up on this slide because this is the exact verse that our kids ministry is currently right now in this moment honing in on with your kids. Those of you that watch the kids' messages online, this is the key verse that they are teaching with their online videos as well. So basically, we're going to pause here for a moment. We're going to recognize this, that as Bible believers, as people that believe that the Bible does not contain errors, that it is the spoken word of God, that according to Genesis chapter 1, God created two genders, male and female. Now, there's kind of two overarching statements that we said are going to carry through this entire series for the next three months and then when we return to it in the fall. One of the overarching statements is this, is that whatever God creates, the devil counterfeits. And this is true throughout all of Scripture. Every time God creates something, when the devil shows up on the scene, what he does is he flips the script, he brings in confusion, and all of a sudden we find people struggling with trying to figure out what the truth actually is. And so as a church, we're committed to preaching the truth, to teaching the truth, to, to researching the truth, to finding out what is it, God, that you have for us? How have you called us to live our lives? This is how Jesus actually described the devil. These are his words. He said, the devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there was no truth in him. Think of that. There's nothing the devil says that is ever truthful. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar. Oh, by the way, he's the father of lies. Jesus is telling you this. This is your enemy. This is the person that is trying to destroy you. It's also why Jesus told us that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Later on, Peter adds to that in his writing and says that the devil prowls around like a, like a lion, seeking those whom he can devour. I mean, there is a spiritual realm at play in the world that we live in. And it's after the hearts and the minds of God's people. He is out to destroy humanity. He is out to destroy everything that was created by God beginning in the first book of the Bible. And this is how he does it. This is the tactic of the devil, and it's the very first words that he ever speaks. We find it in Genesis chapter 3, when he turned to mankind, and he turned to the man and woman, he said, did God really say blank? Did God really say that? Is that really what's in the Bible? Can you really trust the authority of God's word? Do I really believe these words, or is this just an antiquated book written so long ago and it's not culturally relevant for us anymore? And people just cling to this false hope or this false truth because the Bible hasn't kept up with society and maybe the movements of society. And those are the kind of things that we begin to hear 
Those are the kinds of things that we begin to process and we begin to wonder, maybe he didn't say that. Or maybe the pastor misrepresented scripture. Maybe everything that I learned all along if I was raised in the church or even what I know about church, maybe they got it wrong. And so for us today, the question is this, as we look at these two verses, is did God really say there are only two genders? Did God actually really say that? Now, I want you to look at the words of Jesus, okay? We find them in Matthew, and Genesis, if you didn't know, is actually quoted over a hundred times in the New Testament. I mean, Genesis is so important, it's so foundational to what we believe and teach and confess as a church. So Jesus quoted Genesis. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, over and over again, they go back and they quote Genesis. Here's Jesus quoting Genesis. He says these words, have you not read? Which he's saying, didn't you read Genesis? That he who is God created them from the beginning, made them male and female. Two genders. Now here's the consistency of scripture. Because as you dig into the writings of the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, who wrote most of the New Testament, what you will find over and over again is their references to man and woman, husband and wife. So even if you didn't believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God, and even if you didn't think that, that it has the authority that we believe that it has, according to scripture, you could, you could basically come to terms with the fact that the Bible is consistent. That the Bible over and over again talks about and teaches two genders from beginning to end. Amen. Now I want to pause here for a moment. Because I want us to remember the other commitment that we made as a church. And it just so happens that this week it ties into what the scriptures actually teach. And so I want us to remember this as we continue the message this morning. You will never look into the eyes of someone who wasn't created in the image of God and who God doesn't love unconditionally. I'm going to say it again, okay? You will never look into the eyes of someone who wasn't created in the image of God and who God doesn't love unconditionally. And this is what we're trying to navigate. This is what we're trying to figure out as parents and as a church is how do I hold to the truth of God's word in one hand with as with this, with this strong as I can, knowing that God is holding on to my hand, while also making sure that I hold on to every single relationship that God has put in my life, whether they agree with me or don't agree with me, with the same type of, of vigilance. That's what we're looking at today. That it's actually possible to believe the word of God, to teach the word of God, while also making sure we never lose the relationships that God has placed in our life. Okay? Now, as many of you know, the last several months, there has been an even more outpouring of news that has taken place specifically addressing gender, which is what we're talking about today. This is just me scrolling through my news, the, the news that I read, uh, because I have kind of gotten off of social media, and seeing all of the different articles that are coming out in our country in the Midwest, and even specifically here in Michigan. And as I said, I spent the last three months researching this. I have become overwhelmed with trying to keep up with all of it. Like, this is the issue that, that is taking place. This is the thing that's being debated. This is being played out in our schools, in our places of work, 
in our area here in Metro Detroit. And even as we look across the United States, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the father who, who uh, has a son who got a divorce and his wife lives in California and the wife wants the son to transition from a boy to a girl and the father now is caught up in court trying to stop this from happening. And oh, by the way, he's having a really hard time stopping that from taking place because different states have different laws and different people are in different places of leadership within the government. So again, as I've researched this, as I've tried to understand, and if you're here this morning and you might have more research and more knowledge than I do, and that's okay, I would love to enter into conversation with you. I would love for you to share your resources and what you've learned and how you've you know, come to, to hear and to see what is actually taking place in our culture. But what I found is there's kind of like these four main areas. There's kind of these four things that are kind of being unfolded in, in the culture that we live in. And so I call this kind of the gender overview. And I would say this, that now kind of the per pervasive view is that genitalia does not equal gender. So however you're born, whatever gets placed on your birth certificate doesn't necessarily mean that's the gender that you have to identify with. The second bucket I would say is this, is that gender is a term that relates to how we feel about ourselves. So how is it that, that we're feeling, or what is it that we think, or how do we perceive ourselves? When we look in the mirror, what is it that we see in the mirror? Third is this, is that gender identity is on a continuum. So therefore, you can, you can basically, if you start off maybe thinking one way or feeling one way, that, those feelings and those thoughts may change over time. And the fourth is this, is that sexuality and gender identity are not the same thing. So I can be born a certain way, I can have a certain uh, gender assigned to me at birth by the doctor, the nurse, whoever does it, uh, on my birth certificate, doesn't necessarily mean that that's what I have to identify with, or who even that I'm attracted to. And so as we look at these, as I begin to dig even further, you begin to then realize how many genders and different types of gender definitions there are. Now, I'm going to share with you 12, okay? But I'm not, trust me here, I'm not doing this to get a laugh. I'm not doing this because I want you to snicker or any of those things. I want you to continue taking this message seriously because, because God is at stake in the hearts and the lives of people, and we want everyone to come to a knowledge of Jesus. And so as I look at this, I, I'm doing this just so that we're all caught up, because maybe you don't know, maybe you do know. There's websites that you can read where some would say, well, there's 30 genders, there may be 50 genders. Some would even tell you now there's up to 100 genders, and I'll explain how this whole movement is unfolding. So here's just a couple of the ones uh, that I would say kind of started the movement. The cisgender is a person whose gender identity aligns with or matches their assigned sex at birth. Transgender, which this one is on the forefront, as I mentioned, is a person whose gender identity does not match their, sexual, or their sex assigned at birth. So boys that feel like they're girls, girls that feel like they're boys. Non-binary, a person who does not identify clearly or exclusively as a male or female. Genderqueer, a person who can identify as neither woman nor man, both man and woman, or a combination. Gender fluid, a person who can be flexible with their gender. Gender non-conforming, a person who does not conform to their cultural gender norms. Agender, a person who does not identify with any gender. Gender void, not only a lack of gender identity, but also a sense of loss or void in not feeling that gender identity. 
Bigender, which by the way is different than bisexual, is a person having two gender identities that can be experienced and expressed separately or blended. Omnigender, a person who identifies with all genders. Pangender, a person who identifies with all genders at once. And two-spirit is kind of for those that, that are native. So like our Native Americans here in the US, this is also popular in Canada. So you can identify with, with a different spirit or even a third spirit. And so you look at this and you're like, we're just, we're educating ourselves. We're digging in. We're trying to understand the times that we live in and what's taking place in our culture and even what our kids are hearing on a daily basis, what they're dealing with with their friends and the people that they uh, associate with and even the people that you work with. And so many of you, you're familiar with, with these letters, LGBTQ, okay? You might not be as familiar with, with even this is beginning to grow and expand, and so what we know as lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, then begins to get into queer and questioning for Q. I is intersex, A is asexual, so we went over those, 2S, 2-spirit, two 3-spirit, and then the plus there then gets into the non-binary, which then kind of opens the door for having other genders. And what do those genders mean? What do those genders look like, okay? So one of the things uh, that I experienced recently was um, I went to give blood while I was on sabbatical. If you don't know what sabbatical is, it's where a church gives a pastor an incredible blessing where they let you be gone for three months. You're completely disconnected. And so free three months, I didn't read the news. I didn't have access to social media. I didn't even have access to my email. And my wife has always encouraged me to give blood because I have O negative blood. It's the universal blood. You should do this. It's good for mankind. So. I'm like, I'm too busy to give blood. And she said, you're not doing anything. Go and give blood before you have to go back to work. So my first experience going uh, to give blood, I had to download an app and I had to answer 60 questions. And so the questions are, what is your sex? How tall are you? How much do you weigh? Uh, are you married? Are you sexually active with your spouse? And the question right underneath, are you sexually active with your spouse, is this. After I was said I was already married, after I said I was already a male, after I said I was already sexually active with my spouse, is have you had sex with a man in the last three months? Now, I'm just making observations, right? I'm like, okay, so why is this on here? Why is this an important question? And what's interesting is that after you fill out the questions on the app, they have you sit in a chair, and then they kind of ask some of the questions over again to make sure that you answered them correctly. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of wondering, well, why is this? And I come to find out that you cannot give blood if you're a man and you've had sex with a man in the last three months. And so I was kind of, kind of taken back by that, given I know, you know Red Cross tends to be a little bit more liberal and just with their views and stuff like that, that that still is a requirement to whether you can give blood or not. The second thing that happened was uh, when it, the first week back from my sabbatical is uh, that I was uh, uh, chaperoning for my son's field trip to Lansing, to the Capitol. Anybody been to the Capitol? Anybody been on a tour? You know, they do this in fourth grade. All right, so here we are on this tour. And uh, I love the guy because it, it was a retired guy and he was a volunteer and, you know, he brings us into this huge room and the, the first thing he says to these fourth graders is, he goes, kids, don't you love this new facility? And the like, kids don't care. He's like, our government spent $30 million on this facility 
Because kids that came before you, you just have to wait on the steps of the Capitol in cold weather and snowy weather and freezing weather. But our government spent $30 million so that you could be in here and you could be warm before you go on your tour. And I'm like, where is this going? <laughs> What's next? He's going to talk about taxation without representation? I mean, like, what, like you clearly tell there's a little tongue-in-cheek with, with his little lesson. So here we go into the Capitol, we began to learn, and I didn't know this, apparently nobody works at the Capitol. Did you know that? We have like a massive museum up in Lansing. And it started with Angler. It, apparently the governor actually works across the street. Most of the people that, that, that used to work there, COVID, all those things, they work from home, they work in other office buildings. And so that's why they just have all these tours going on all the time, because nobody's working in the building except for key moments when they have to call back the governor to sign a bill or they have to call the legislation into action. So here we are, we're in one of the chambers and the kids are looking down, they can kind of see things, he's explaining how the legislative branch works and he asks the kids, kids, do you see anything around that you want to ask questions about? Is there anything in here that you would want to ask questions about? So one kid, because he's looking up, says, well, what's with all the ceiling tiles? And he, he explains all the ceiling tiles, how they represent different states and different uh, facets of Michigan. One kid, of course, is like, well, what's with the big piece of cheese on this guy's desk? <laughs> and the tour guide, he said, he said, well, that guy happens to live in the UP, and he lives closer to Green Bay, Wisconsin, than he does Detroit, so he's a Green Bay Packers fan. Right? Too bad for him, Right? And then kids, because they're fourth graders, start asking all of these other questions, but nobody asked any questions about the flags that are on some of the desks. Now, I got up my phone. This is from my phone. I took this picture. And he's like, are you sure there's no other questions? And the kid's like, no, no, no. They're getting squirrely. They're getting ready to go to the next part of the tour. And I just happened to be standing next to my son's teacher, and she was like, oh, I'm so glad nobody asked about the flags. But this is what that spoke to me. I feel like maybe that's kind of like how we are. There's certain things we don't want to talk about. There's certain things we kind of just hope go away. And, you know, we, we have kids and we're, you know, we want to try to protect them and we just don't want to have certain conversations because it does. It, it makes us uncomfortable. And as a dad, I, I began, I began to, to wonder, like, am, am I doing justice? Should I be having this conversation with, with Brady on the way home and, and saying, hey, did you notice anything else? And maybe I should be explaining this to them. Or, or maybe he's not ready yet. I need to talk to my wife. Maybe we need to wait a few years. Or when should that conversation take place? And then I started to wonder as a pastor, what's my role as a communicator of God's word? who's committed to going through books of the Bible and addressing things that the Bible addresses? Am I just going to skim over the things that make me uncomfortable? Or am I worried about, you know, offending somebody? Am I worried about, you know, making, making a statement that maybe I'm going to regret? Or all of these things start flooding through your mind, which is why we need the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding in our lives. Because nobody at Shepherd's Gate wants to compromise the relationships that we have with the people in our lives. We want to be a church that is for things, not against things. And so when we look at gender, when we look at what God says, we want to say we are for gender. We are for the guardrails and the guidelines that God has given us, that gender is a male and a female because that's what God's word says. Amen. And that's what makes it difficult. 
So as I went home and I researched, because I really, I know, I know a little bit about the, the gay flag, and I, but I didn't know all of it, and our family, we, we vacationed on the west side of Michigan in the summer, and a lot of the stores have flags on them, and up in Traverse City, even churches now, a lot of churches have flags on the outside of their buildings because they're trying to communicate something. They're trying to say something and make a statement. And so as I was learning about flags, there's basically 30 flags, but there's really kind of four anchor flags. Uh, the one in the top left is what it started with. It was reduced down to six colors in the top right. The bottom left uh, was because um, brothers and sisters of color felt they weren't being represented, so they added the, the black and the brown. And then finally, this is the newest one, it's the progressive flag, because uh, they brought back in the pink and, and the teal, which represents transgender, transgenderism. And so it's like, so okay, so I'm even trying to understand and comprehend how all of these things work together. Then a buddy of mine who works for GM, knowing what I was going to talk about, sent me this screenshot. This is from his uh, employee benefits package. Now, you'll see it says January 1st, okay? This is not this January 1st. This is a year ago. So January 1st, 2021, GM, and I guarantee you they're not the only major company in our area that changed their medical coverage. And you'll see that it says January 1st, GM medical coverage for gender dysphoria will cover the following additional services with a lifetime maximum benefit of $30,000. And then I'll go ahead and let you read the bullet points. Some of you work for GM, you know this. Some of you work for the other auto industries or, or maybe you work for major companies and you know that this is taking place. So again, gathering data, seeing all of this, saying, okay, God, what are we supposed to do? What are you calling us to do? How do we live in the culture that, that you've placed us in but remain true to the faith that we believe you have implanted in our hearts? Because this is what it comes down to. After three months of digging into this, this is what I believe, is that gender debate comes down to who gets to determine a person's identity. Who gets to make that call? Does God decide a person's gender and identity? Is it the parents that get to determine this? Is it doctors that get to determine this? Or does each individual have a right to determine their gender and their identity? So again, I'm going back first as a father and what scriptures I would bring before my kids and how I would teach them. And likewise, I believe that the father of the universe, God the Father, would take us back to this scripture as well and say, this is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to hear about your identity and the created order and how I love you and created you. And it's actually found in Psalm 139. These are the words for every single human being that has been created. It says this, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. It was your eyes that saw my unformed body. So who's doing the work in this passage? God. Who knows our gender before we're even born? God, who knows the gender before the parents have time to do blood work or an ultrasound? God, he saw our unformed bodies. He is the creator of the universe. Over and over again, this is the theme that scripture presents to us. 
Which is why I would stand here and tell you this, your gender is determined by God the moment of your conception. God determines that for you. God loves you so much that he's the one that determines that identity for you. And not only so, your identity as a child of God is given by God the moment of your salvation. The moment that the Holy Spirit begins to live in your heart and in your life. And you know how he does this? It's when parents bring their children to the waters of baptism, where the seed of faith is planted into that child's heart and into that child's life. It's where people that maybe they weren't baptized or they didn't grow up in the church, but they heard the gospel, they heard the good news of what it is that Jesus Christ can do for them, that he died on the cross, that he paid the penalty for our sins, and he rose again three days later to restore the relationship that was lost between us and God. And by doing that, he gives us a new identity. The Bible actually uses words of adoption. He adopts us into his family. He calls us as his own. He holds us in the palm of his hand. He does this because he's rescuing us from the fallen, sinful world. He's doing this because he loves every single person he has created. His end goal for you and for me is the salvation of our souls. So again, hear me this morning. We're going to continue to hold on to the truth of God's word, and we are going to continue to hold on to every single person God has placed in our lives because they are intrinsically valued to Almighty God, whether they agree with us or don't agree with us. Now, as I continued on with listening to podcasts, I read a couple books, went through some articles, talked to some people that are, that are more versed in this stuff than even I am. One of the things that I also learned about is the movement now that's taken place in just the last five to ten years. That if you rewind just five years ago, that 0.05% of the population identified as transgender. And out of that 0.05%, most of them were boys transitioning to girls. Here we are five years later. And the statistic is now that 2% of our population is identifying as transgender. But the, the, the vast majority of those that are identifying as transgender are girls, teenage girls. And so again, you look at the data, you look at the, the facts, and you say, okay, God, wh wh what is going on? What is taking place in our society? And how is it that the church is to respond? And as I began to dig deeper and deeper, I began to learn about teenagers from five and ten years ago that made decisions, that now regret those decisions that they made, and now there's a whole new movement called detransitioning that's going on. And I began to watch video testimony of these girls and their hearts breaking. And over and over again, as tears flew down my cheeks, and I said, God, what, how do we get in front of this? How do we get behind this? How do we get to the side and the left? How do we support people and help them to know who their identity is in you? They don't have to create their identity. Let's follow some wacko on social media and somehow come up with, with, a, with a thing that, that's outside of how you have created them. But I wanted to show you this morning. I wanted you to hear from some of them this morning. One in particular, if you've watched any of the videos, uh, Chloe Cole, she's one of the most outspoken ones. She's been on several news outlets and then a couple other girls, young girls, 
that are transitioning back. Let's watch this together. Over the past decade, there has been as high as a 4,000% increase in children being referred to so-called gender clinics across the United States. I was one of these children. 18-year-old Chloe Cole came forward this year getting real about her transition to a boy. How would you characterize the, the whole experience, what you've been through? It was horrifying. Cole says she always felt like a tomboy, but the idea to transition really started when she opened a social media account. Very quickly after I made my account, actually, I started on the algorithm of Instagram, actually started recommending me a bunch of like a, a lot of LGBTQ content, particularly um, like trans-identified females who were around my age. Cole says she went to see a therapist. I was recommended to a gender specialist. It was kind of just like, oh, if you think you're this, then we'll, we'll say you're this. Cole says that when her parents raised questions, the therapist turned up the warning. They basically cited the, the high suicide rates amongst like trans-identified adolescents, and they basically said, would you rather have a dead daughter or a life son? Had you expressed any suicidal ideation to any of anyone? No. Cole says it all happened fast from there. I got my first blocker and testosterone shots at 13 years old, and it was at 15 that I decided that I went under the knife to get my mastectomy. At this point, you were convinced that this was the right course of action for mm -hmm. you. I was convinced that I was actually a boy, even if I wasn't, even if even if my body was was female, and nobody really questioned this belief at all. At 16, she got a double mastectomy, and then she felt something creeping in, regret. I told my mom. I kind of just broke down crying to her one night about how this was the biggest mistake of my life. Do you think you've been wronged by the healthcare community? Yes. Cole is now suing three doctors and the medical group that oversaw her hormone therapy and surgery. I mean, my breasts are gone permanently. I have no idea about, like, the whether I'll be able to have kids. Cole isn't the only one with regrets. Helena and Luca say their struggles with their gender began when they hit puberty. I definitely believed I wanted a double mastectomy. It was something that I fantasized about all the time. I started medically transitioning at 16. I got a double mastectomy before I was on hormones. The three are part of a new ever-growing group called detransitioners who have transitioned and then transitioned back. I'll never be fully male i'll never at this point I'll, there's no really going all the way back and i don't know what to do for a while i kind of talked to other trans people and they're like oh yeah just just get surgeries and you'll feel so much better after you get surgeries and but that just it didn't feel right and eventually i just stopped the testosterone and how was it after you stopped all of these crazy symptoms that were happening to me that wound me up in the hospital completely stopped. I haven't experienced any of those things since stopping the testosterone. I also felt just incredibly lost because this was the way that I had been interpreting myself for about five years. The voice of detransitioners now so loud, lawmakers, medical boards, even prominent doctors who promote transitions for kids are paying attention. One thing we absolutely have to do is start learning from the detransitioners 
There are more and more every day. Dr. Laura Edwards-Leeper was the first clinical psychologist at the first gender clinic in the United States. She says the healthcare community is starting to conduct clinical research on detransitioners, but more needs to be done. There are slowly studies being done, but those researchers are terrified to put their research out there. They are attacked unbelievably for even discussing that this is a possibility. Um, but we can't do good clinical work if we don't understand and learn from them to know what did we do wrong. For Chloe, Luca, and Helena, it's a matter of life or death for kids struggling there right now. Important enough for them to come forward and say, wait. We as a society have seriously failed the youngest generation. And we can't blame them for that because they didn't you know, choose to feel this way at 14, 15 years old. But the medical model that we kind of funnel the troubled kids into just has no way of really addressing this on a deep level. There's just no defending this. You cannot, you cannot possibly defend sterilizing and then mutilating children. It's hard to watch, isn't it? As someone that did youth ministry for 13 years, I wish that I had every single one of those girls in my youth group or in my church so that I could look them in the eyes and tell them they are so loved and they are so valued. That God created them and he's got an incredible purpose and plan for their lives and to put my arms around them and to love them, and to hug them. Because this is the question, church. What do we do? What is God calling us to do? Circle the wagons? Push it aside, ignore it, not be willing to talk about it, not be willing to have the uncomfortable conversations? Or by speaking the truth, does this mean that God is going to unleash and unfold and create miracles in people's lives because they're bound by Satan, they're bound by the lies, and they don't realize the freedom that they can have in Jesus Christ. As I've gone to God many times in prayer, many times on my knees, I say, God, what do we do? I think this is it. We have to recognize the world we live in. Study it, research it understand, build relationships, ask those who have different views than we do. Help me understand this. Help me understand where you're coming from. Help me understand like, why there's all these terms and how you feel and why you feel this way and what's your source of truth. I think the next thing is that we pray and we cry out to God. My 12-year-old was in church this morning at 9. My conversation with him on the ride in was, buddy, Sorry that I'm forcing you to go to church this morning. I know you like going to the 1045 kids program, but this is too important. And I wish that I didn't have to have this conversation with you. I wish that I could hold on to your innocence for just a little bit longer. But man, God, help us. Give us the wisdom, the guidance, the words to love our kids. And not just the kids that are in our own lives, but the kids in our church and the kids that are in our community that are struggling that have lost their way and they've lost their identity. And the third thing that I felt the Holy Spirit put on my heart is that we have to teach and invest in our families. 
There's two places that kids are going to get truth now. Do you know that? There's only two places left on the planet. One is in church, and the second is in your home. Parents, you've got to talk about this stuff with your kids if you haven't already. And I can tell you this, this resource, I hope that you take a screenshot of this, you write this down, you remember these letters, cph.org has some of the best materials for having conversations about sexuality and gender with your kids. This is actually our publishing house, the denomination that we're connected with. And these are the books that at an age-appropriate time, they will tell you between these ages, these are the books that you want to read to your boys and to your girls. These are the books that my wife and I have been reading with our boys since the very beginning. We have to step up to the plate. We have to be willing to teach them what it is that God's word says. And not only so, that we have to be a church that continues to have our arms open wide. That doesn't just preach a sermon on Sunday morning or maybe throw out a resource, but is there something that we could do? And this is what we prayed about. Is there something that we can do as a church from this day forward, ongoing, to partner with people? People that you know this is going on in your family, this is going on in your circles. How can we be a support? How can we be a help? And so God laid this on our heart, and I want you to watch this next video, because this is a video of myself and our care director here at Shepherd's Gate, Venus Graydon, who's going to explain more about what we're going to be doing as a church. Well, hey everyone, I'm joined today by Venus Graydon, who is our care director. And if you're new to Shepherd's Gate, or maybe you don't know all that our care ministry entails, she's just going to share a little bit about the program and the classes that we offer here. Well, Tim, we offer uh, grief share for those that have lost loved ones. We offer divorce care for those that are going through divorce. We have boundaries for those that can't say no. <laughs> and we have... Um, Healing is a choice for those that need more healing after divorce or grief share. And then we have divorce care for kids, which is for the kids that are affected by the divorce. And so today, not only are we promoting those classes, but we're also launching a new class here in a few weeks. So could you tell us about this new class? Sure, the new class is called Building Bridges, and it's for parents who have gay children that um, are having a hard time and need support. Um, it's very difficult to accept a child that's gay, but we are told in the Bible to love everyone. So we want to be able to help them to go through it and help their children and love their children. And so not only did you identify this as a need in our community, but this also affects you personally as well. And so maybe you could share a little bit about that. Yes, my daughter was a sophomore in college when she came home with her big sister for support and uh, told me she was gay. And of course, I was stunned and uh, we were both crying. And, she, you know, I just I kept thinking, what's gonna, my friend's going to think? What's the church going to think? Um, you know, what are people going to say? And I was afraid to accept it. But at the same time, I love my daughter and I'm, I just couldn't let go of her. So I hugged her and said, I will love you always. And we'll work this out. And we'll work together on it. And so not only have you put this class together and getting ready to launch it, you also had a conversation with your daughter because you wanted to kind of get an idea of how she felt and really in some way kind of permission to be able to offer this class here. And so what was her reaction when you told her about the class? Well, first I said, um, 
what would you think if we offered a class? And she said, Mom, if you could help one person, I would be so happy with that. And uh, then I said, well, what about if I do a video, you know, and talk about this? And she said, that would be fine. I hope it helps one child, one child, you know, so. She is all for it and has asked me a couple times after, have you done it yet? So, so very supportive of it. Very supportive. And for you as a parent of a gay child, I mean, you know this firsthand, but what is it? what are the benefits that you see for, for having this? Well, first off, it'll let us connect with other people that are going through the same kind of thing, um, but also help us to help our children, to let them know we love them, hmm. you know? and that God has told us to love them. So we can keep our faith, we can believe our beliefs, but we can also love our children. And so this class is coming up, can you tell us a little bit more about that? We will have a meet and greet on January 29th at noon in room two, and then the actual classes would start February 5th at noon in room two. So Venus, if someone has additional questions or maybe they wanna to talk to you before the meet and greet, how would they get a hold of you? They can call me at the church, it's 586-731-4544, uh, or they can email me at venus at sgatechurch.org. Well, I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to offer this, and we know it's going to be a blessing to anyone that comes to the class, whether they're here at Shepherd's Gate or they're part of our community here in the area where our church is at. That so is what we're praying for, yes, and we ask for continued prayer. Great. Thank you. we close today, this is our final question, is what is we going to do as a church? What has God called us to do? And I think first and foremost it's this, is that we're going to admit our complete dependence on God. He's our creator. He's, he's the one that knew that we would live in this time, in this day, in this age, in the struggles that we would face. So God, we worship you, we pray to you, we seek your counsel, we seek your direction. We want to do your will and walk in your way. Second is this, is that we're going to live out our mission and vision to love everyone unconditionally. If you didn't know, our mission here at Shepherd's Gate is to impact the world with the love of Jesus. You cannot impact the world if you do not have Jesus and you do not have Jesus' love going before you. The way we accomplish that mission is by living out our vision statement, and the first part of our vision statement is to value everyone we meet. Again, we will never let go of those that God has placed in our lives. We will love them unconditionally. And finally, this morning, we're going to serve others with compassion and humility. You know why? Because we're not better than anybody else on this planet. And it's really good that we're ending with communion this morning because we're all sinners. We've all walked away from God. We've all tried to create our own world and create our own identity or whatever you want to do. Some of you, it's pursuing money. Some of you might be alcoholism. Some of you, it might be something. Pick whatever one you want. But God, we are going to be people that are humble before you, that want to serve those that you have placed in our midst. And we want to share your love with as many people as possible so that they too can come to a knowledge 
of you. And that's what we're going to be about. That's what Shepherd's Gate's all about. God, give us the grace and mercy to do just that. Amen. So as we prepare our hearts to receive Holy Communion this morning, if you're new here, you're watching online, our practices is actually just to bow our heads and close our eyes. And the reason that we do that is because this is your one-on-one time with your creator. Remember, the, the one who knit you in your mother's womb, that one that knows your heart and your mind and your thoughts and your actions. So I'd invite you to do that in this moment, whether you're here in person or joining us online. And as we do that, we're just going to take a few moments and allow you to speak to your dad. Tell him what's on your mind. Maybe you're angry this morning. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you got a sin that you got yourself tangled up in and you need to get that off of your chest and you need to put that at the foot of the cross and you need to receive God's grace and forgiveness. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you need to confess how you've treated others that aren't like you or act like you or talk like you or look like you or agree with you. Whatever that is this morning, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Holy Spirit, just as you hovered over the waters of creation, hover over every single person here this morning or that's online,